Thanks for joining us today for the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. Season three has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. So tune in every week on Fridays. We will have a new episode. Also this season, we will celebrate our 100th episode. So stay tuned for that. Just happens to fall on my birthday, October 28th. So we will have a big celebration. Thank you so much for joining us. And here's today's guest. This meeting is being recorded. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley. And today from the great city of New York, I'm joined by Patty Cabot. Hi, Patty. Hi, Jill. Thank you for having me today. I'm just loving your view of of the city. You have a great uh, office there. (laughs) Thank you so much. I I do. You know, New York is definitely a city of uh, concrete and glass. And I, I do like that. But I live very close to a park. So that's nice. That's great. So, Patty, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. So I, um, so I'll tell you where my my story kind of starts. So I had battled my weight for many years. I would gain and lose fifty to seventy five pounds every couple of years or so, and I did it for more than twenty years. And I'm a phenomenal dieter, and I could never figure out like what the issue was. Why couldn't I maintain my weight? And it really seemed like this was going to be a lifelong pattern, which I did not enjoy. And I decided to go to therapy and I found somebody who specialized in eating disorders. And I met with her and we chatted a little bit. And so I was um, sexually abused as a child. And basically what she said to me was, you know, your weight is merely a symptom of your childhood sexual abuse. So my inability to really manage my weight really stemmed from the fact that I never addressed kind of what happened to me as a child. And so working with her, we then started to delve into my childhood, the events of my past and kind of where that left me as an adult with my coping, coping mechanisms and just how I operated in the world. Right. Well, there's so many things that are symptomatic of um, trauma that we've been through. And, and this is, this is a symptom that we don't talk about a lot, but I think it's really important. So tell me, where did you live growing up? So I actually am from New York. I had lived in Staten Island, which is kind of the New York City has multiple boroughs and Staten Island is one of them. So it's much more suburban than Manhattan, which is where I live now. But I I grew up there. And then I actually, so I was the main abuser of my family was my stepfather. So my mother um, divorced my stepfather. And when I was 11, my family, we moved to Arizona, which was a great restart for me. And then, um, but I still never addressed the issues that had happened. And then after I graduated from college, I moved back to New York. Okay. So what, um, what, how long was your stepfather a part of the family? So, you know, it turns out my mother and father, when they, before they moved to Staten Island, they lived in an apartment building in Queens and this gentleman was their neighbor. So I think he was always somehow in my life and my mother and father split for good when I was two. Um, So my stepfather was really in my life, I think from that point on. And when did the abuse start? Do you know? I really don't know. I would say my earliest memories are around four or so. 
Um, Mm -hmm. So, and you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think one of the things that I struggled with in therapy was, and I had my therapist who I, I looked for somebody who specialized in eating disorders, that's her thing. But it also turns out that her subspecialty was EMDR, which is a kind of therapy. And EMDR basically is about kind of the thoughts and feelings are connected. So even if you have conscious thoughts, there's also physical feelings that you have in your body that your body will hold on to. And, um, and it's a way to try and access things that are going on for you because I think, and I do not think I'm uncommon in this respect. A lot of trauma is very difficult to process, especially Mm -hmm. when you're young and you don't understand what's happening and you really don't have the words or the language to explain it. You just have feelings in your body and those feelings tend to get locked in your body until you ultimately resolve them. And when we would do EMDR, you know, one of the things that would come up was, you know, she would ask me to tap into how old I was. And I was like, I really, I just couldn't. And I, it's because I think I was so young that I just didn't have the understanding to process what was happening. Right. And, and one of the things I wanted to throw in, because it really was the driver of everything for me was, so I started therapy to deal with my weight, but my weight was really a smaller goal. My goal was I wanted to find love and I had locked myself away. I led a monastic existence and I really wanted to open myself to love. And I felt the only way to do that was to manage my weight. Because again, that's like the easiest thing to address how I look. That's what my issue is. Obviously, you know, obviously it's not what my issue was, but that was really the driver for me so that I could open myself to love. And I think I was very protected as a result of what happened. How, um, what, what kinds of things did you do to try to lose weight? Um, I have been on Weight Watchers more times than you could possibly count. And I'm, I'm honestly, I'm a very good dieter. I am, (laughs) I am a phenomenal dieter. My issue was always maintaining it. So, and I, one of the things that I would do is I would, I would do great. I tend to be, I worked very hard to be less black or white, all or nothing, because life is about Mm -hmm. finding the gray. But I was very rigid. So if I was on a diet, there are things I can't eat and I wouldn't eat them. I mean, I I really was very good. The problem with that, that was as soon as I fell off, I was off, you know, because again, it's all or nothing. Right. Or out black or white. Um, So I I actually did really well with Weight Watchers. And I would say, say to anybody who does struggle with, um, their weight. The nice thing about Weight Watchers compared to other diets that I've done is it really does try to teach you how to eat like, and I, I mean this in the nicest way, like a normal human being. Like, what does a normal human being eat? They, you know, you eat fruits, you eat vegetables, you eat protein. Right, right. What <laughs> like, do you like need? Have, yeah, as opposed to, I mean, I, I did do Atkins once, and honestly, that's not for me. I, I need to eat carbs. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So when did you finally reach your end and say, I need help for this? I need therapeutic help. Um, what about what age was that that you decided enough? So I actually had um, been in therapy in my 20s. I had started therapy in my 20s. And, you know, there were a few reasons, my issues with men, my issues with weight, and I was really unhappy in my jobs. And I was about 25. And I had seen this therapist twice a week for eight years. And I was really very unhappy. And we honestly, we never talked about my childhood. We focused on the here and now and getting me through each day because I was tremendously unhappy. And, um, 
you know, at the end of eight years, while I was a lot better, you know, and it's interesting, while we didn't address my childhood, one of the things that did come out of it was that I had issues with my family. Like I had no boundaries that I could set. I was kind of just available at all the time whenever anybody wanted me. And, you know, I felt like they were sucking me dry. So I did learn to like create some boundaries, which was very helpful. Um, so anyway, so I'm in my early thirties by the time I stopped working with this therapist and I, you know, continue to gain and lose weight. And I did not like therapy. I, therapy for me was a misery. I was very guarded, very protective. And I thought it was intrusive if somebody asked what I did over the weekend. So talking about my thoughts and feelings was torturous for me. I mean, mm -hmm. I really yeah. did not like, it. um, and then I continued for another few years kept gaining and losing weight. And I really just accepted that I was going to spend the rest of my life doing this unless I got to the heart of my issue. Mm -hmm. And so when I started looking for therapists who dealt exclusively with eating disorders, and I found the one I started working with, I was 38 years old. And it was okay. the first time in my life we I ever delved into my past. You know, it's interesting as children, when we're, when we're abused as children, we, we learn that boundaryless existence because our boundaries have been so infringed on. And so you, you pick up that pattern, right? That just says, you yeah. know, I have no boundaries and any, anything that comes in, comes in and, you know, so we're not, not able to say no and, and provide that safety for ourselves. Right. I agree. And, you know, I think another thing that comes out of that is because you are trapped and stuck. And for me, one of the big things was I was very disconnected from how I felt like starting to feel emotions was a Herculean task for me because I didn't. I just immediately shut everything off. If it was unpleasant, I shut it off. If it made me sad, I shut it off. The only emotion I was ever comfortable with was anger. And that's because there was a lot of anger in my family. So I saw that one a lot. And, and I know a lot of people are very afraid of anger. But so when I started in therapy and there was this whole process of like trying to feel my feelings, but the bigger driver was I tended to have, um, while I was successful at work, I was always unhappy at work. And it's because if things hurt me or frustrated me or disappointed me, I couldn't express them. Like I never felt entitled to say anything. So I would mm -hmm. tamp it down and tamp it down until I was so enraged by whatever was happening around me that I felt like I was in a prison because I never learned how to express how I felt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, when you started to, uh, bust into what was really at the core of the problem. Did you share with your mother or share with your family what was going on? No, I did not. Um, and in fact, I thought my past was so deeply shameful that I never talked about it to anybody. And I was in therapy for three years before I started to tell my closest friends. I told no one. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting. I, I have thought a lot about secrets because it was my secret that I kept, you know, essentially my whole life, other than the initial telling of what was happening that kind of blew open the, the scenario. Um, it got to a point for me where I felt like the act of keeping the secret was more important than the secret itself. And there was mm -hmm. literally, I felt like I would die if I told anybody, like it became so consuming to keep this secret. And it was very hard for me. And like I said, I was in therapy for three years before I told my best friend. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, shame is such a, such a toxicity in our lives and it's, and you know, shame is carried guilt and you're carrying somebody else's guilt that isn't your own. Exactly. And, and so um, it's really hard to break free of that, isn't it? It is. And I think there's one of the things that I learned in therapy was that there's a world of difference between understanding something intellectually and feeling it emotionally. And unless you can feel it emotionally, it really doesn't matter if you understand it intellectually. So my therapist used to say to me, flip the scenario. What if it was one of your friends? Would you judge them? And the answer is, of course, I wouldn't judge them. I would be have nothing but sympathy and concern. But when you internalize it and turn it around for yourself, it's not like that at all. Right. And we're so ungracious to ourselves sometimes, <laughs> you know, so unkind to ourselves where um, as loving, caring, giving human beings, you're right. We would never, never treat somebody else the way we treat ourselves sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. And particularly um, while I may have struggled with men, I have, you know, and, and not even that I really had necessarily negative experiences. I, I didn't trust myself, I think was the thing like to choose wisely. So I really was very guarded. But with my friends, I, I have a great circle of friends. And, you know, my closest friends have been my friends. My best friend has been my friend for more than 30 years. I mean, so it's not like I, some people don't choose well with friends. They surround themselves with the same kind of awful right. hateful people they grow up with or are hurt by. I didn't do that. Yeah. So, so what was your family's response when you, when you came out with um, this uh, abuse? So um, I have an older brother and an older sister and my sister and I, to my recollection, had one conversation with my mother about what was happening. And I must have been in the neighborhood of nine or so. Um, and I really don't think we ever talked about it again. My mother and stepfather went to marriage counseling because they wanted to make their marriage work. And ultimately, um, she saw him coming out of her room late at night. And that kind of precipitated their divorce. And that was shortly before I was 11. And we never had another conversation about it. And what's interesting is I ended up, after I started therapy with my therapist and EMDR, I ended up trying a, multiple different alternative theories because I was, therapies rather, because I was still stuck. I was making so much progress. I was, you know, like losing weight. I was doing all these great things, but I wasn't making any traction on my ability to open myself up more, to be more open to love. And we just felt like I was stuck. So over the course of several years, I ended up working with a chiropractor to release trap fight or flight. Um, mm -hmm. what's that? But fight or flight instincts, I guess. Um, I also went to work with a sex therapist to see if there was something there that I could explore. And my last stop was group therapy. And everybody in the group that I was in, it was women who were sexually abused as children. And I was the only one in the group that was kind of operating under a so normal family dynamic in that the sexual abuse was never mentioned, was never talked about, was never like present. Whereas everybody else, it, it kind of blew up all of their families in one way or another because it was now out there and exposed. And in my family, it wasn't. And I tried to have one conversation with my mother about it in my 20s, which was not satisfying. Um, and basically, it was not satisfying because what she had said to me was, um, you know, her marriage to my stepfather was the best marriage she had. 
which is not really what I wanted to hear. Yeah. So it wasn't validating in the way I was hoping it was going to be. And honestly, I just never tried again. And uh, while I have a cordial relationship with my mother, I, we're not close, at least Mm -hmm. in the way I view being close to people, but we certainly have a cordial relationship. Well, with that kind of a response, that's got to affect your level of trust um, and um, being able to trust your feelings and, and trust your reality with those you love, right? Well, and I think what it did show me is that, you know, there are people who are a part of your life because you're born into a family with them and they're not necessarily people you can choose. And then there are your, your friends who you do choose. And my friends are all very supportive and very kind and they hear me and they validate me and they see me. And in my family, that's not necessarily the case for everybody. I will say this about my mother. You know, I have certainly spent a lot of time thinking about my relationship with her. And I think I navigated it as well as I could. My mother is not a bad person. There's no malice in her, which Mm -hmm. is not true of everybody. There are certainly any number of really, truly evil people out there. My mother is not one of those people. There is no malice in her, but she's very limited. She's self-centered. She's narcissistic. She doesn't mean to be, you know, unkind or, you know, hurtful, but she's limited. Um, And I just kind of accept that about her. And I also accept that I think that, for me, there is no relationship more primal than mother. Like mm-hmm. I will always long for what I don't have and it dictates my behavior with her. So I've never tried to extricate her from my life because I accept that she is flawed, but she is still my mother. So if there's ever a way in which I can help her, I will. And I do. Yeah. You know, it, it's true. I read this book um, called The Primal Wound, and it, it's about separations of, of mothers from our lives. And it's, um, and it, it is, it's the basis of relationships and, and the core of, of so much of how we see ourselves and how we view the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me this, what part does um, being in control have to do with the conversation of weight and abuse? Is it a need to control? Um, You know, it's interesting because I think that um, I really tried to spend a lot of time figuring out to like, what role did weight play? And I always came up with multiple theories that all seemed to make sense. I think one of them is you know, I would gain and lose weight because I was never comfortable at any weight. So when I was thin, I felt unsafe, excuse me. And when I was heavy, I felt invisible, particularly to men. I either felt Mm -hmm. unsafe with men or I felt invisible to men. And I didn't like either one of those feelings, right? And like neither one of them was good. So I kept bouncing around trying to find where I was comfortable, but it didn't exist because I wasn't comfortable within myself. So I think to that extent, weight was protective. I also for a really long time felt like I struggled with binging. Um, And this is a distorted way of thinking and I've since overcome it, but it was really very prevalent for me, which was that I would binge and then I would need to forgive myself so that I could move on and let it go and start again. And, but there was always this very powerful recognition that I needed to be forgiven for overeating. And, um, I was talking to my therapist about it at one point. She was like, why does it need to be forgiven? You know, it's food. 
It's you didn't kill anybody. You didn't really hurt anybody. Why does it need to be forgiven? Everybody overeats at different points. Why does it need to be forgiven? And I really, again, this goes back to intellectually versus emotionally. and, And I couldn't reconcile the two, but I felt like for me, binging and being overweight was a chance to forgive myself. And I think at its core, my issues with my sexual abuse were that even though intellectually I could tell you it was never my fault, I always felt like it was. And it was like my eternal quest to forgive myself. Yep. So did you, um, did you finally, were you finally able to maintain your weight at a place where you're comfortable? Yes. And so when I started seeing my therapist, I had started um, losing weight. And it was interesting because I had lost about 25 pounds at the point I started seeing her. I joined Weight Watchers again. And for like over the course of three years, I had lost about a hundred pounds. And it was the first time I ever maintained it. Like Mm -hmm. I just maintained all of the weight loss. And while I would still bounce up and down anywhere from five to 15 pounds, I never really got any more out of control than that. And it's been 15 years. And I think what was interesting is that there's a few things that I ended up doing over the course of that, that made it easier for me to maintain my weight. One of them was, um, I had decided that I was going to exercise and it was going to be no excuses. And I was going to exercise every day. And I had a stationary bike. And again, I am very disciplined with myself. So if Mm -hmm. I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And it was interesting. The first year I had to force myself to ride that bike. I did not like it and I didn't want to do it. And I did it five days a week. And then I increased it to six days a week and, you know, the length of time increased. And so I made myself do it the first year, but the second year, I didn't mind it. And by the third year, I genuinely liked it. Mm, and that for me was kind of key was that, and they say it takes six months to form a habit was that I really did grow to enjoy it. And over the years I started running and running is I believe the most powerful force in keeping me tethered from a food perspective, because running is for me physically very difficult. And if I don't eat well, it makes it that much harder and I want to run. So I feel like exercise became a really important component for me. And it was also, as my therapist had pointed out, I always feel strong after I work out. And mm-hmm. so she had said, to me, she's like, it's the one time of day where you focus on the inside rather than the outside. It doesn't right. matter what I look like. It's how I feel. Right. So that's, that for me has been very positive. Well, and there has to be deep gratitude for our bodies being strong and being capable and, and instead of, instead of hating our bodies for, for what they are not. Exactly. Exactly. And I think too, for, for me, and I think, again, I I don't think I'm so unique, but if you've been sexually abused, you know, your body is the scene of the crime, right? So it's like, where does all that loathing go? It goes towards your body. Yeah, absolutely. So what are you doing now to help others um, figure out this, these complicated um, scenarios in their lives? So, um, I really, if if you had known me then, like I have come so far from where I, I had been in terms of how closed I was. Um, and so what I did is I started a website, I have a blog, I have a newsletter, I started a group on Facebook, which is very small, but it's all about the intersection of eating disorders and sexual abuse. Um, because I do think it's interesting that um, 
there really, there's not enough linkages in my mind between eating disorders and sexual abuse because they really do go hand in hand. I mean, let's be honest, eating disorders go hand in hand with all kinds of trauma. Right, right. <laughs> so it's certainly not just for sexual abuse. It's all kinds of trauma. Um, and I, I don't know that necessarily, like I was kind of floored when I started looking for information about the two. There's nothing out there. there there's yeah. just nothing. So I'm hoping to at least start that conversation, bridge that those two worlds, because they do. Again, I mean, I never would have gone into therapy to deal with my childhood. Never. It was yeah. something I thought I would take to my grave. Yeah. So what is undoing the ruin within? So basically, you know, I feel like for me, I always felt ruined. Like I really felt like what had happened to me ruined me. It wasn't just that I was, and my most fervent desire, I was in therapy for a long time. My most fervent desire was to somehow undo it. I, I wanted it undone. I did not think there was any way I would ever be able to get past it otherwise, unless I could magically make it disappear. And you know, that's impossible. You can't right. undo things. And it really was a very long road for me to accept that this is part and parcel of who I am. And instead of doing everything in my power to disavow what happened to me, it was about learning how to accept and integrate it into who I am. And I will say, you know, not, not to be a huge spoiler, but I did ultimately meet somebody after, you know, um, you know, I, cause again, my goal was to find love. And I, while I had sexual experiences when I was in college, I was always wasted. I was always drunk. I was, I was never present. Um, mm -hmm. And I put myself in unsafe situations. And when I kind of figured that out, I locked myself away for many, many years. And when I finally did meet somebody, he was fantastic in that he made me feel like I got to start again. It was mm -hmm. like I got to start over at the most basic level. He knew all of my fears, all of my concerns, you know. And again, because it was so, it got to be so innocent the way it started, I got to start over. So it was like, I did get to begin again. What a gift um, that you're, you were offered there um, to be able to feel like you could, you could start fresh. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, it's, it's really interesting that I think that the older I get, the more kind of philosophical I get. And the more I, I mean, I believe in the power of the universe. And I think that people come in and out of your life for different reasons, just as you come in and out of people's lives for different reasons. And it was his, his purpose. And he did it beautifully. You know, I mean, like, it really was a gift to me that, that I was able to have this man who really single-handedly undid all of my negative beliefs about myself, the men in general, the world around me, how powerful or powerless I felt. It was, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was That's amazing. wonderful. So what advice would you give somebody who is struggling with an eating disorder um, and, or struggling to share their, share their secrets and, and figure I'd begin to unravel those. I would say um, one of the things that my therapist used to say to me that I hated was that you can only do things when you're ready. So, mm -hmm. so really take that to heart. And it's not a satisfying answer, but you can only do what you're ready to do. So start small. And if you're struggling with your eating, try to figure out what it's about. 
like, so for me, you know, there was a big elephant in the room that I wasn't addressing. Not everybody has a secret like that, but a lot of people do. So maybe it is about just trying to figure out, is it really about food? Is it about something else that I don't want to feel, whether I'm unhappy in my relationship, my job, my family, whatever you think is causing you strife or conflict. And then I would say, try to be open to sharing it with a professional. Um, And when I first started looking for a therapist, you know, I was just out of college. I had no money. And I worked at a company and most companies do offer, it's called an employee assistance program or an Mm -hmm. EAP and it's free counseling. And so it's not forever, but it might be five sessions. It might be eight. It might be whatever, but it's free. Um, So nobody should feel like they don't have resources because they don't have the financial means to pursue it. And it was actually when I had met somebody from the EAP to talk about my issues with my job that we clicked. And she had said to me after whatever number of sessions, she said, you know, I think you have issues you need to work on. And she gave me the number for the therapist I saw in my 20s. Mm. Um, so, and you know, that worked out well too. I had insurance at that point, you know, I was able to see somebody, but there are free resources. If you're not working, there's so much information online and I'm in my fifties. So the world has changed a lot, particularly when I started down this path, like the internet (laughs) was not out there. So and we talk, we talk about things like shame and, <laughs> and guilt and, and all of those things much more readily now. So how exactly. do people, how do people find you or find out more information about your work? So if you go to my website, it's Patty Cabot, P-A-T-T-Y-C-A-B-O-T.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram and, um, and I think my blog really kind of typifies the issues that I that resonate with me, which is really all about therapy, um, weight, binging, sex and dating, running is a huge thing for me. Um, so I, I write about those things. Wonderful. Well, Patty, thanks so much for sharing and for um, just letting us into your world a little bit. And I just really appreciate your, um, your, the gift of your time. Thank you, Jill. It's been an absolute pleasure and I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Jill at JillRiley.com, on Facebook at JillRiley.Author, Twitter at JillRileyAuthor, and Instagram at JillRiley.Author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at Jill at JillRiley.org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.